It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So over the next couple of days, we are going to talk about what went right for the Tigers this year and what went wrong for the Tigers this year. A pros and cons list, if you will. And I feel like when people ask, you want the good news or the bad news first, most people say the bad news first. We're going to start off by talking about what went wrong for the Tigers in 2023, all today on Locked On Tigers. You are Locked On Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Thursday, October 5th, 2023. Thank you so much for making Locked On Tigers your first listen. Every single day, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Be sure to check out Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off of your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed all righty well like i said we are going to talk about kind of a pros and cons list but you know this was a a a solid year this is a really solid foundational building block year and uh, i think that on tomorrow's show when we talk about what went right for the tigers in 2023 that list is going to be longer than this one Uh, i i think that i mean the team blew past pretty much everybody's expectations uh, they, they had good performances from some young players. A young core is forming right in front of our eyes. Like this was a, this was a very very solid foundational year. This was a good season. Okay, um, but they still didn't go 500, and they still have plenty that there is to improve on. There is it's impossible for an organization to go through an entire summer and have absolutely nothing go wrong. Someone will take a step back. Some prospect won't develop the way you wanted him to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I think that it's important to just kind of really, before we get into off-season talk, before we start talking about what this team needs to improve on, uh, what areas we want them to address in the off-season, I think it's important to look back at 2023 as it's now officially over the season and talk about what went what could have been better in 2023. And then we'll have kind of a clearer picture on what the team needs to address in the winter. Okay, does that make sense? So uh, I, I'm starting with cons, like I said, because I feel like most people want to get the bad out of the way early and then focus on the good, and we will certainly do that. But, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't like all sunshine and rainbows. It was not some perfect, miraculous, you know, like Cinderella season. They still finished under 500. They still have a long way to go in a lot of categories. I want to start, with, I guess, third base, because in my eyes, this is taking a look at, at my list over here. Is that the biggest one? I mean, I, that's kind of a subjective argument, I guess. But, you know, third base was a complete disaster for this baseball team this year, a complete and utter disaster. If you just look at the production the Tigers got out of third base versus the rest of their own team. Uh, it was comfortably the worst production on the entire team. If you look at the production they got out of third base compared to the production that every other team in baseball got out of third base this season, 
I believe they finished tied for the third worst third base war. They had negative one war at third over the course of the full season. Um, they were a, a complete train wreck at the position, uh, defensively, offensively, you name it. They struggled at third. And I mean, again, like WRC plus at third, I think they're the second worst in baseball. Like it, it, just any metric, really not great. And this conversation dates back to last year around this time. Honestly, this is kind of something that was brewing for a while. Scott Harris obviously took over. What was that late August technically? Uh, but last off season w- was obviously his first And one of the first things he did was trim a lot of the fat of that roster. Uh, That was one of the worst offenses ever. They obviously weren't going to bring back, uh, you know, everybody. Um, But there was a big decision that was made. And at the time, I don't think very many people questioned it too significantly. I I know it's not 100%. I'm very aware that there were some people that were like, we wanted Jamer back. I, I, I totally get it. Um, But I I feel like a majority of the fan base was like, this dude really struggled. He's only got one year of control left. He was a free agent anyway. We just traded for a guy who presumably can play third base. We'll get into him in a second. Uh, Well, I guess the trade happened after this decision was made. But like the presumption was you're going to go out and address it in a different way, right? And so Jamer Candelaria was not brought back. Now, I have held my ground here and gone on record at the time. And even with the season, Jamer put up like a three war season. He was really solid this year. He got off to a slow start and then had a really bad September, uh, a really bad September, but all the months in the middle, he was great. OPS over 800 for a majority of the season. Um, and he was over a couple million dollars. Uh, the decision was made not to, to bring him back. And, you know, I, I still, I guess my brain split in half on this. I still do not regret not bringing back Jamer Candelario. I still do not think that this organization like took a step backwards as a whole or is completely like hosed because they did not bring back Jamer Candelario for again, like what probably would have only been a one year deal anyways. Uh, I, I have a hard time believing he would have not wanted to test free agency um, and him having a career year in his free agent season, uh, like, doesn't make me go like, oh man, like I, I would have given Jamer anything. Uh, like I, I really wanted him back this year. Would have the team have been better? Yes, and that's the other half of my brain. The team obviously would have been better, and uh, the, I mean, thir- again, like anything would have been better than what we got out of third. So like, I, I'm not saying I'm like adamant. Oh my goodness, in no way, shape, or form should we have brought him back. Obviously, if we did, the team would have been better. I I fully understand how good of a season he had and how bad we were at the position. But as far as like big picture outlook, I still don't lose sleep over the fact that Jamer Candelario is not on this baseball team. Um, And if you really are like, he's the guy of the future 100%, then like go sign him. (laughs) He's a free agent again. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's uh, it, it's. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that relationship is, is kind of sour. I, I I don't expect Jamer to come to come back here or really even entertain coming back here. But um, if if you strongly believe that you screwed up and you want to wrong the right, quote unquote, then like you have the opportunity to go get him. But um, I, I just I'm looking for our third baseman of like long term, like of the future. And Jamer, I I believe is about to enter his 30s or is entering his 30s. 
Um, and just the, the the track record of his career is so inconsistent. I don't want to make this a Jammer Candelario conversation. I want to make this a Tigers third base conversation. But he's got a very inconsistent track record. Good year, bad year, good year, awful year, great year, terrible year. Like, it's 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 a lot of inconsistencies and and he's you know he's not the 25 year old we traded for anymore so um i still like him am, am fine with the decision despite the year he had but i also fully recognize that you know if i was given the option going into the season of what he would end up doing versus what we got out of third i'm obviously would have preferred jamer to stay on the team so i hope i articulated that well kind of like a short term versus long term thing i guess is the 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 layman's like reasoning in my head for uh, why it still doesn't bother me too terribly much. But um, Nick Maton, you know, that's the, <laughs> you didn't bring back Jamer who had an all-star season and all-star caliber season. And you traded for Nick Maton who was, I mean, at the plate dreadful. And it's really unfortunate. I, I, that's like a bulk of this conversation is, is Nick Maton. And then the, other cast of characters that ended up playing third at some point. But this conversation really starts and I feel like ends even more so than Jamer with Nick Maton. We'll finish that conversation right after I tell y'all about our friends over at Game Time. We talked about Game Time at the beginning of the show and they are the best. They're the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. You can see the view from your seat before you buy. So you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. All the in all in price what the heck all in prices show your total up front so you know you're getting a great deal without hidden fees goodness reading is hard uh you can buy tickets in a matter of two tabs just truly seconds so take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time download the game time app create an account use code locked on mlb for 20 dollars off of your first purchase terms apply again create an account redeem code locked on mlb for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. All right, everybody. Welcome back here. Segment two of Locked on Tigers. Appreciate y'all for tuning in. Making us your first listen every day. We'll be back tomorrow. And tomorrow's show will be talking about what went right for the Tigers in 2023. Which, again, like is a longer list in my head, at least right now. Uh, as I'm game planning this out. Which is a good sign. That means that it was uh, it was a better season than most of us expected, so we'll take that. Um, but for now, we're talking about what went poorly for the team in 2023, and third base really sticks out. We already talked about Jamer. I, again, I hope I articulated it well. Short-term, obviously, Jamer better. Long-term, still not too bothered by the decision. And that leads us to Nick Maton, who going in – when this trade was made, I was uh, I, I was pleased with the trade. I didn't think it was some fleece job. I thought it was relatively even – but I was uh, I was relatively excited about it when the trade happened. And, you know, Veerling played third at the end of the year, but I think that was just to get him reps there, kind of solidify himself as a super utility versus just a fourth outfielder. I'm fine with that. Um, but, but Nick Maton was supposed to be the third baseman. And going into the year, the belief was this guy is going to be the third baseman for the team for a majority of the year. Now, I had said going into the season, if you go back to spring, I'd articulated pretty well that like I thought it was going to be a revolving door still. And I thought that Maton was going to get the keys to the car and have the, the, the first chance to kind of run with it. But 
I thought, I think I said Justin Henry Malloy's name. Obviously, that never ended up happening. But, um, you know, I uh, we laid out, like, all the different people who were probably going to play third base. I think I put the number at, like, five, and I think they even blew past that number. Um, they had a lot of different names play third base this season. So um, it, it was it was always going to be a revolving door, but Nick Maton really struggled. And uh, it was, you know, at the beginning, it was, oh, he's hitting fastballs, and, he, and he's barreling balls up, but he can't hit any non-fastball and it's not just breaking balls or just off speed. It's literally anything that's not a four seam fastball. He just could not hit and, uh, or a Duvall cutter somehow. Um, but it got to the point where he became unplayable and halfway through the season, he was sent down to Toledo. He came back up for a little bit, but then was sent back down again. And he ends up playing a lot of games in triple a and his triple a numbers in some short stints were better um the issue that i have with that is i don't want to be too dramatic with this and just say like i don't care like at all about his minor league numbers obviously that's like the baseline you have to go off of but he can't hit major league non-fastballs and the jump between triple A curveballs and changeups and major league curveballs and changeups is so significant, I can't even articulate. So, this, like, if, if his numbers in triple A for, for weeks at a time or even like the entire stint down there are, are looking solid, which for most of his time in triple A they were, I just, it, it doesn't move me until he proves that he can do it against major league pitching. Um, so now we're in a situation where by June, the Tigers had no one to play third base, like at least consistently. And we talked about how it was going to be a revolving door, but the guy that, again, you gave the keys of the car to, and you were like, this is the guy, if everything works out, he'll be the third baseman this year, had an OPS under 600. And on top of that, like I, I, people give me heat for it every time I say it, but like I still believe to not like, you know, 100% guarantee, certainly not even over 50% probably, but I still think that there are steps in development that could happen that would make Nick Maton be a major league hitter. Like he has a really good eye, his decision making on what to swing at is still really good. I think mechanically his swing is just like super kind of whack at the moment, but that's not even the point. Even if, he were to figure it out at the plate. The thing that not very many people talked about throughout the course of the season was that this dude was legitimately one of the worst defensive third basemen in the entire game of the baseball as well. So you're, you're batting over, right? OPS under 600, literally can't hit anything that's not a fastball. And then at one point when it just caught up all to him, it was just like nothing, even fastballs included. And defensively, he didn't provide you any value. He's literally first percentile in OAA for a majority of his major league season. So everything that could have possibly have gone wrong at third base did, and it ended the season with just like a platoon situation of we're just going to play the matchups and hope for the best at third. That is just so blatantly one of the biggest things that went wrong for the team this year and something that needs to be addressed. You need to find a third baseman. <laughs> You, you you really desperately need to find a third baseman. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the future of third base later. We're kind of recapping 2023 right now. So we'll save like the Justin Henry Malloy, Colt Keith, free agent, et cetera, conversation for down the road. But 
Um, for now, 2023 third base, like an F grade, just a complete and utter disaster. Um, Javi, very easy. This isn't a very like in-depth conversation. This is not going to be a 15-minute conversation like third base was. Uh, Javi was one of the worst qualified hitters in the entire game of baseball. He ended with, I believe, a 593 OPS, which I think, funny enough, was exactly Nick Maton's OPS as well. Um, but it, it was a sub 600 OPS. And we've talked about it a lot. I, I don't want to keep reiterating myself every single day when it comes to Javi. He gave you plus defense and the errors are a problem. Yes, but the range is elite. Uh, and, and he did objectively provide you value on the defensive side of the ball. Does that make the contract worth it? No. Does that make me happy like enough and like, oh, this is enough for me? Absolutely not. Um, there's a lot wrong with Javi's offensive output. And a lot of people love to point to the approach. And I've said this before and I'll say it again and then we'll move on. Um, I don't care about the approach nearly as much as everybody else. He had the same approach when he was putting up seven war seasons and was like third for MVP. And he was still swinging at balls in the other batter's box and sliders were killing him and he looked ridiculous. And he still put up elite seasons, like was one of the better, more premier players in the entire game of baseball. So this theory that like, oh, he needs to like change his approach and somebody needs to get in there and really change how he stands in the batter's box and what he swings at. A, I don't, I just don't think it's going to happen. He, he's in his thirties. He's been a major leaguer for a decade. I, I don't think in his thirties, he's just going to magically change his approach, but B it's not required for him to be productive. It's not, it's objectively not. And the reason it's objectively not is because again, he's done it before. The biggest reason to why he struggled this year is he cannot hit a fastball anymore. His mechanics have always been somewhat flawed, and he made up with it with elite bat speed. He's in his 30s. That bat speed has gone away. He needs to make adjustments so that he can just do damage on fastballs again. He will always swing at sliders low and away. He will always go viral for taking hacks. He will never walk. He will always strike out a lot. He will always swing and miss a lot. The, the sooner you come to terms with that, the easier this conversation becomes. That's not changing. And we have him, he's going to opt in, and he's going to be on this team for the next four years. You can make him a, a plus value guy. If you continue to get elite defense, and his OPS is even close to league average, if it just starts with a seven, even if it's still below league average, but it's like a 715 OPS, you're talking about a guy who could be worth like two and a half, two wins and war, just because he plays premier defense at, at shortstop, which is obviously very value, valuable in that formula. So, like, he just needs to hit fastballs again. He needs to go see somebody this winter and go, I used to slug 700 against fastballs, and that's where all like a lot of my offensive output came into play. And now I have a 590 OPS because I have a sub-200 batting average against four-seam fastballs. What the heck happened? Fix me. And, and hope that he can do that. If he can't, and he's just cooked, and, and there's no fixing his ability to hit fastballs, then he's toast. And, and we're never going to get better than what he gave us this year ever again. And he probably doesn't make it to the end of the four years remaining in his contract. And they buy him out a year and a half, two years in. But in 2023, complete and utter disaster, Javi Baez. 
pretty, pretty safe to say. Okay. Let's talk about the rest that went wrong for this year. Some quick hitting stuff, some a lot uh, easier conversations to have. We'll do that right after I tell y'all about our friends over at FanDuel. Snap into the action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $2,000 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose, just for a $5 bet. If you've been thinking of joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. Bet on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, everybody, welcome back here. Third and final segment of Locked On Tigers. Appreciate y'all for tuning in, as always. So we've talked about third base. We've talked about Javi. The trade deadline was was a complete disaster. And and we're going to have a, well, the trade deadline as a whole maybe was not like a complete disaster. But the Erod handling of the trade deadline was, a, uh, I think, a, a complete utter disaster. Um, we are going to have like a Scott Harris one year in episode probably early next week, like pretty, pretty soon here in the next few episodes. We'll have that, um, just like recapping all of what he has done, his successes, his failures one year into this and find out kind of where we're at and what we can expect going forward. Um, so, uh, we don't have to get like too in depth of, of that right now. And I think everybody is like kind of on the same page of how that was handled. Um, but that was, uh, again, like pretty pretty safe to say, pretty objectively, one of the biggest failures of 2023 was how the Erod situation was handled. Now, is it 100% on Harris? No, uh, but it's certainly not 100% on Erod. As the, the guy who calls the shots and runs the team, you have to have a backup plan in place. You have to understand that this dude has an opt-out and... He can use something that he legally was agreed upon <laughs> when Penn went to paper like that. That's just something that, that you can't just assume that he's going to. You can't assume it either way. You can't assume that he's going to opt out. You can't assume that he's not going to opt out. So I, I appreciate the the going for the best possible deal, but not having a plan B, not having any way to pivot from that afterwards, I, I maintain is just a complete failure. And now. We're, he's going to opt out, and the only way that you're going to be able to keep Erod long-term is if you give him a raise and give him an, at least one more year at his contract. I can almost promise you he's going to opt out, and I don't know. Like, I mean, ask yourself, do you, like, how badly do you want Erod? Do you want to pay him you know, tw- over 20 mil AAV and add another year onto the end, you know, give him for three or four years or whatever he's got? I, I don't think that that's a slam dunk guarantee deal, right? So uh, it might just be something where you got to swallow your pride and, and just take it on the chin and, and realize that it was, a, it, it was a screw up. It was a big time screw up at the deadline, but um, we're not going to double down on our screw up and you're just going to lose Erod for nothing. And that, again, is obviously a failure. Okay, so that was obviously a big one. Like I said, we'll talk about all of Scott Harris's, uh, again, like wins and losses. He's had quite a few wins. I'm not trying to just, you know, focus on the losses, but I guess this episode is literally just focusing on what went wrong. Um, so we'll talk about what went right for, for Harris. We'll do a complete Scott Harris one year in where we stand now episode pretty soon. Um, the rest of them are, are a little bit of quicker conversations. Like I said, a leadoff hitter, complete disaster, not something that was really highlighted throughout the course of the season, but 
Um, we have so much data and information at our fingertips now, and and which is great. Like the game of baseball, I don't think has ever been in a better place, or at least hasn't been in a better place in a very long time. Um, and it's very cool to just go through and, and kind of just digest all of these numbers. And one of the ones that really pops out to you on the offensive side of the ball is um, is that the the production we got from our leadoff spot from our one hitter was not even close, comfortably the worst on the team. Right. You had the middle of the lineup, you know, where Torque and Carpenter and Green were batting. You got into the 700s in OPS and in and, and those uh, like slots in the lineup. Right. You have a lot of your lineup is in like the mid and upper 600s, a majority. Uh, but your leadoff spot, they salvaged uh, in September. They, they did a little bit better at leadoff. They salvaged what could have been an OPS that started with the number five out of their leadoff spot for an entire season. And the fact that we're talking about the guy, like leadoff, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to build a lineup and construct a lineup. And and uh, I think that that's the beautiful part of baseball is there's so many different ways to be successful. Um, but it's, it's fascinating to me how the leadoff hitter is objectively, just math, the guy that gets the most at-bats on the team over the course of the season, right? That will always be true, no hundred percent of the time. That that's it's impossible to not have the 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 one slot has the most played appearances after game one sixty two, and that was our worst hitter, <laughs> like comfortably, right? So that that's like not a recipe for success. And when thinking back to the, you know, the the Tigers just in the last like twenty five years, um, you know, in the in the early part of the century that that was just an awful team. They didn't really have too much at the leadoff spot there. And then, you know, like you got like Granderson earlier on before the power developed and, you know, they moved him around a little bit in the lineup, but like Grandy was a solid leadoff hitter, but he struck out a lot. And then you handed the baton over to Austin Jackson, who again, had the speed and, and put the ball in play, but also like struck out a lot. Um, and, you go and then like you had the Ian Kinsler era. Ian Kinsler was a really solid leadoff hitter. And then like since Ian Kinsler, it's been really like slim pickings. Like the, there, there isn't a lot of notable. And like, I guess you could say that about really anything, not just leadoff hitter. The team's pretty much been, that's like the last seven years, the team's been bad. Um, but you know, we haven't had like a solidified, really good leadoff hitter in a while. And I don't think Riley Green's the leadoff hitter of the future. Torkelson and Carpenter, you obviously want in the middle of your order. I don't think Colt Keith is necessarily the leadoff hitter of the future. Justin Henry Malloy has the discipline. If you're talking about like big picture future outlook, he has the discipline. Um, but maybe you want a little bit more speed or maybe you just want the guy that walks the most. And if he turns into that, then there you go. But uh, I'm not sure there's a clear answer either. The only one that excites me is if Parker Meadows works out. He has this elite speed and he walks a lot and he doesn't chase out of the zone. And those are like the two before when I'm building a lineup and everybody's different. I'm not saying that my way is, is the only correct way, but when I construct a lineup, I want the leadoff hitter to have some speed and get on base. Don't care if it's a walk or a hit, just get on base, set the table for the big boys in the middle of the lineup and have the speed to, to come home. I think Parker has the ability to potentially fill those. It's just a matter of if he can hit consistently enough to like be good enough to justify the top of the lineup. Um, but there's also a very real case that the leadoff hitter for this team going forward is not on the Tigers right now. And you got to go outside the organization. 
Um, they did that with Kinsler. They did that with Austin Jackson. You know, it, that's that's certainly a possibility. So um, just something to keep an eye out for. But this year, leadoff hitter was really bad, and that's the guy that gets the most ABs on a game-to-game basis. Just not a recipe for success or a really high-powered offense there. Um, closer, you know, after May, this would have been nowhere near this list. Um, but then the rest of the season, it, it caught up to us really quickly. Lang obviously had his struggles at one point. Uh, you know, they, they we talked a lot on this show, like, if you want to leave him in there for development purposes, fine. But I, I don't think there's a single fan in, in the city of Detroit or, or you know, worldwide, wherever you're listening from. Um, I don't think there's a single Tigers fan out there that's like 100% confident in Alex Lang being the closer of this team going forward. And that's enough for me to put it on this list because going into the season, you got rid of your literally your four best relievers from 2022. Chafin, Fulmer, Soto, and who am I forgetting? Joe Jimenez. All gone, right? And so having that much turnover, but us seeing the glimpses last season, Lang had walk problems last year too, but we saw the glimpses of, of how nasty his stuff was. And I think there was a lot of optimism. And then after May, he won AL reliever of the month. Like in the month of May, he was fantastic. He was unhittable. And so to go from that to now, you, you know, we have like a 3-6 ERA, a 3-5 ERA. Like he didn't have a terrible year, all things considered. But uh, he struggled in the middle. And I just don't think there's like a huge boat of confidence that he's the guy going forward right now. And I think that high leverage reliever at a minimum, whether it's exactly closer or not, is something that they're probably going to look to address this offseason. So uh, I think that that's probably by the end of the year turned into a con, even though it was something that early on in the year wasn't, Um, uh, you know, uh, there's a real argument here that if the Tigers don't get off to the two and nine start and then don't go on the nine game losing streak to start off June, that they hang with the twins throughout the majority of the season. And I, I, obviously I'm not even saying you so, you know, you, you go nine and two instead of two and nine, or or like you go nine and zero oh, and you go on a nine game winning streak instead of a nine game losing streak. Like that's obvious. You can't really play that game. But even if you just had a few wins, even if you just change the results of a few of those, let's say you go three and six in that nine game stretch. Okay, you're, then you're talking about a team that won eighty one, went eighty one and eighty one. They won exactly five hundred. And then let's say you you switch three more of the results uh, in in the beginning of the season too. Right. So you go five and six instead of two and nine. I don't know if that's math is right. I'm not good at math, but you know what I mean? Like if if you just switch three games in each of those bad stretches, talking about an 83 win team, the twins had a mid eight, what they 86 wins. They had like a mid eighties win total there. So I think that those were again, like fairly obviously those were two things that if this team could have avoided really bottoming out and just completely hitting their absolute floor and instead were able to uh, were to even just like keep their head above water again, like I, I'm not even asking for uh, for them to like have gone undefeated instead, then I, I think we could have been talking about a much closer and kind of more dramatic end of the season, which is exciting for next year, but you also have to have the personnel in place to not bottom out because the the start thing goes back years. This is like, like a, the millionth year in a row that this team has gotten off to a really bad April. And like, you can only blame the weather for so long. 
like, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of teams that play North of like Tennessee <laughs> and, and have to deal with cold at the beginning of the season. And not all of them get off to like nine and 20 starts to the year every year. So that's something that you desperately, desperately, desperately need to be better at next season. You need to hit the ground running and knock it off to really a really bad start for the millionth year in a row. And then last thing really quickly, and then I'll let you get out of here is just like depth. And, and I don't think that this one, the reason that this one's last is because I don't think it's, it's as bad as maybe the other things on this list, because I feel like it, it, it was less so just all of your depth just was awful. And it was more so the depth you thought you had in March was not as good as you thought. And instead, different players stepped up and filled those roles. So it was kind of like a, like a, like a, just a handoff more so than just like a complete failure. Um, but there were a lot of names. One of the biggest ones, just from a starting pitching perspective, I guess this is probably the better way to do it is to go like, which positions am I specifically referring to? Starting pitching was one where, you know, going into the year, we, we clumped four guys in together as like having like really adding a lot of value into starting pitching depth. And it was Bo Brisky, Garrett Hill, Joey Wentz, and Alex Fiedo. I think there's a legitimate winning argument that none of the four of those guys are going to be starting pitchers for this team long-term ever again, right? Garrett Hill has not proven that he's just like a major league pitcher in general yet. So we'll see where his development path takes him. There's still like good stuff with Garrett Hill. It's just a lot of command issues for him. Uh, Bo Brisky shined out of the pen this year, took some steps forward out of the pen, but I, I don't think you can pencil him in as a guaranteed starter long-term anymore, certainly. Alex Fiedo, the team announced, is going to be a multi-inning reliever going forward. And I think the days of him being like a solidified starter are kind of behind us. Um, and then, uh, who am I forgetting? Fiedo, Hill brisky oh and then joey wentz had a disaster of a year right absolutely like horrible worst case scenario year for him so now again like then reese olsen and sawyer gibson long appeared so like you, you had a little bit of a of a cushioning of that blow but like that was a big blow like that that was we, we i remember episodes in february where i was like you could legitimately if all these guys turn out you could be nine starting pitchers deep that went away almost immediately <laughs> By like May, we were like, all right, well, none of these four guys are, are like going to solidify themselves as legitimate starters. So I think that starting pitching depth and there's nobody really waiting in the ring wings like Flora, Wilmer Flores is not going to be on this opening day roster next year. You know what I mean? Like there, there's there's some stuff to address for sure in terms of starting pitching depth. I think this is a very, very shallow starting rotation right now. And it, you need to go out and it, whether it's bring back Erod or go sign some other starter or go sign multiple starters. That's my vote. Go sign multiple. Um, you you really need to do that because you're an injury or two away from having half your rotation just be bullpen days. And we can't do that again for the third year in a row. Okay. So that was one. And then on the offensive side of the ball, you know, you have a lot of utility guys that can play multiple positions and that's great. I, I'm not against that. Um, so like, I, I don't, I'm not as mad about the depth in that regard. I would like the caliber of play and just like the talent level to go up. Obviously, you know, we still were a sub 500 baseball team, but um, it, you know, if you want to play matchups and you just want to get better utility guys than like Nevin and short, et cetera, then like I'm for it. 
the the one glaring one is really catcher depth. I think that that was, and this is where we'll end the show. Um, I, catcher depth was something going into the year. I had said, um, which was like it's funny looking back was like like it was called like controversial and like a hot take was when I said that I thought Jake Rogers was going to play more games at catcher than Eric Haas this year. Um, and, and certainly like, I, I did not expect Eric Haas to, to have as bad of a year as he did, which was super unfortunate. But like when that happened, you, you bottomed out. And like, now we're, we're talking about picking up Carson Kelly's team option, even though we had an OPS of under 600, like, and, and again, like I'm not hundred percent against that. He was a good defensive catcher, but, um, and, and like Dylan Dingler, I don't think you pencil in as the opening day starter in t- or opening day backup rather in 2024. I, I think we're f- still a ways from that. Maybe he gets a midseason call up, but like you, you, and then after Dingler, like that's kind of it in the entire organization. Like it's Rogers, it's Dingler. It, it's if you pick up Carson Kelly, it's his option. Like you, you have a, you have an immense lack of catcher depth. Like Josh Crouch didn't take a step forward. Like a lot of people wanted him to, you have an immense lack of, of catcher depth now all of a sudden. And so I think that that's going to be something that uh, that needs to be addressed this winter as well. And something that maybe in the spring we weren't talking about that 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 was a big worry. And it ended up kind of sneaking up and biting us in the in the heel. So, um, yeah, there you go. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day. Appreciate you all for tuning in as always. A little bit of a longer episode today. Um, I got to try to try to cut that down back to uh, around 30 minutes. Tomorrow's episode will be about what went right for the Tigers this year. Okay. So if you think that I'm just like, oh, everything was terrible. I promise I'm not. A lot more went right than went wrong, I think. I think this was a solid year for the boys. Um, I would love to th- to know what you think went wrong. Is something that I missed. Uh, something that I overlooked it's, and I wanted to stay away from just like the offense, like, okay, like for sure. You know, they have the 28th ranked offense in baseball. Like, I guess like, you know, you could, or like risk, like in general, yes, I'm the risk guy. Like I understand that, but there's some big picture stuff for sure. But, um, and, and obviously I can't cover everything. I, I'd be here for four hours if I was covering every single little thing that went, that didn't go perfectly this season. So um, yeah, let me know what you guys think uh, about like what went wrong. And then tomorrow we'll talk about the pros of 2023, a much more fun list and a lot more of an encouraging list for the future. I also don't think anything on this list is like, oh my goodness, this is so bad that we're not going to be good going forward. And that's a great sign because that hasn't been the case. We, we've, we've talked, you know, we've done this like breakdown stuff. I got to get out of here, but like we've done this breakdown stuff before after a season and the cons have been like, franchise altering and it's like oh well it's impossible to get better because of this i don't think anything on this list is impossible to fix and that's a good sign all right peace and love going to therapy's dope i'll catch y'all tomorrow baby go tigers hey prime members you can listen to this locked on podcast ad free on amazon music Download the Amazon Music app today.